This week on an extra spooky Ultra 64, we're playing Resident Evil 2. Resident Evil. Welcome to Ultra 64. We are the internet's just very best podcast. Everyone else can go jump up a fuck. First year in a row, voted number one podcast on the internet by internet users worldwide. <laughs> Every single one of them. My name is Steve Guntley. Hello, I am Jill Sandwich, Woody Siskowski. <laughs> and we're joined once again by our very own master of unlocking, uh, Lindsay Pennington. Welcome back, Lindsay. Hello. Zombie enthusiast, Lindsay Pennington. Oh, oh yes. man. We are, we are, <laughs> she very much is, yeah. And we're, we're here talking about Resident Evil 2. Oh, goddamn. Resident <laughs> Evil 2 colon the second one. <laughs> I, I fucking love me some Resident Evil. Uh, I think it's fantastic. And uh, particularly, I love Resident Evil 2. I think this was my first game I ever played in the series, and I became lightly to extremely obsessed when I was younger. So, uh, you know, yeah, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a big fan. And uh, Lindsay what, what, definitely had to be here for this because she and I have kind of a longstanding tradition at this point of playing horror games together. Like we'll we'll save like I'll I'll get a scary game and I'll save it and then we'll only play through it together. Well, and, that helps because I would never play through them by myself. Yeah, you're kind of a chicken shit for someone who loves like horror games so much, like you, horror everything. You should have seen me as a kid. I was the kid that they shoved in a room, locked the door, and said, "This will make you like them." Whoa. Okay. Yeah. That sounds very traumatic. That's very scary. Yeah. yeah. I, I didn't have very nice friends growing up. No, I guess not. That doesn't you seem still like... don't. Well, yeah. the, the terrible thing is... Welcome to our podcast, by the yeah. way. The terrible thing is that they, they were right, and now I actually really do love horror movies and games. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Shoving somebody in a room and locking the door ever led to them liking anything? Apparently. Oh, okay. That's I'm, how me and Nicole met. Yeah. 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 I don't doubt you that. You just locked her in a door and be like, you, you sit in there until you decide that you like me. He locked her in a door? Locked her in a door. Locked you cut out door. the middle of the door and then you um, yeah, people have each side. You can't tell from listening to her voice in the podcast, but Nicole is actually like three inches thick. Yeah. So she can fit very neatly in a hollowed out door. Exactly. So do you think that, do you think that scary movies or scary games are scary? Because you watch many a scary movie. I'm I'm more scared by the games. I think because you are more involved. You have the direction of the character. You have the controller in your hands. Yeah, you tend to do a thing when something scary happens. You'll kind of pass the controller off. Oh yes, yeah. We played through uh, all of Resident Evil Seven. Yeah, uh, the three of us so. all played that. That was a that's a very fond memory for me. We we. Uh, like, it was over three nights, and we kept the house, like, as dark as humanly possible yeah. and stayed up playing till like, 3 a.m. Like, yeah, that was fun. Yeah, and uh, Resident Evil 7 is scary as fuck. So, yeah, it was that one was uh, pretty intense, and I'm glad I had people there. So, uh, yeah, let's talk about, should, I mean, I don't know. You, let's talk about the history of horror in video games. Can we do that, Steve? Yeah, you have, we can talk. I don't have too much about horror I in mean, general. This is our first quote-unquote scary game that we've played for I the think, podcast, right? Yeah, I, I mean, think unless so. we count Glover. Yes, Glover was pretty scary, but, uh, you know, yeah, I would say so, because um, survival horror, which is the the specific genre this belongs to, was kind of a new thing. Uh, For most people, Resident Evil is the first exposure to this genre. Uh, If you're tracing its roots back a little bit, probably the first survival horror game that we know of is a, a game called Sweet Home. came out for the Famicom in uh, 1988, and it was only in Japan. And actually, Resident Evil was intended to be a sequel to Sweet Home, uh, and it kind of eventually morphed into its own thing. But survival horror, for those, you know, if you need the definition, it's kind of tends to be a little slower paced. Um, There's less emphasis on shooting and action and more on just avoiding and staying alive and solving puzzles. It's, yeah, so I mean, the horror part is just kind of the theme, right? You're gonna, there's plenty of games that would have creepy creatures or something like that. Yeah. The the earliest 
horror game that I remember playing much was Zombies Ate My Neighbors for the oh, Super I Nintendo. Oh, I love Zombies Ate My Neighbors. Which is, but it's definitely not a survival horror game. It's just it's more thing. kitschy. Yeah, more. Yeah. It's more of a throwback to like fifties zombie movies. I definitely remember in that game. There's, I think, the fourth level. You have chainsaw dudes chasing you through a hedge maze, and it is really scary. Like, oh yeah, the music in that game is very frantic. And I mostly like, just remember the giant baby. Yeah, yeah. That was the first sort of big boss. That game is it's not big boss from Metal Gear Solid. Oh yeah, that game that is like. 50 levels long and it has a very annoying thing of if you save with a password you lose all of your equipment oh god and it's very frustrating so you kind of have to play through it one sitting it's kind of has that or the nes metroid type of thing it's like as soon as you try to password it you just have to restart or just leave your console on all day while you go do other stuff yeah i mean i guess if you were to trace it back there were some horror games on the atari 2600 there was uh haunted house where you play as a pair of like googly eyes (laughs) <laughs> like walking through a maze and you can only like illuminate a certain amount of the maze like at a time. Okay. So kind of an early horror game. Uh, there were Atari adaptations of Texas Chainsaw Massacre and Halloween. Wow. Uh, which are both pretty pretty goofy. It was a uh, Friday the 13th game for NES. Mm-hmm. And uh, Nightmare on Elm Street for well, NES. Well, both were, terrible. LJN. There were, there were oh. quite a few PC horror games too. Yeah, absolutely. If you think of Seventh Guest and Eleventh Hour, and I think Seventh Guest was before this. Yeah, Seventh yeah. Guest was. I think it was the first video or game on the computer to mix the graphics with actual live action. Mm-hmm. It could be. Yeah, I, I couldn't yeah. confirm if that's the very first one I or not, but it was definitely one of the earliest. That's a really good analogy, just in general, to where the sort of Resident Evil thing grew out of, because it's Resident Evil is really kind of more like an adventure, sort of wandering through this mansion type of game, rather, even though there's zombies. Yeah. They're just kind of a roadblock in the way towards you sort of backtracking and finding items, which is very true to like those sort of early Sierra games. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. Absolutely. And it's all about exploration and, uh, yeah, puzzles that are, like, kind of too easy. And uh, Mm -hmm. we were talking about, like, do these actually qualify as a puzzle? Yeah, it's like you find a um, (laughs) unicorn-shaped... (laughs) <laughs> yeah um in bar you know medallion. In medallion it's like put it in the thing that you know the unicorn shape ebbing yeah you know? that's it it's, it's just like matching shapes it's very basic like kind of preschool stuff where it's like oh how will i get in this door with the red key card holder oh i probably need a red key card huh so i mean they're not complicated but uh they're they're puzzles you know in the strictest sense so let's talk a little bit about the first Resident Evil game because uh, that debuted in play- on the PlayStation in 1996. Uh, it goes by the name Biohazard in Japan, which I still think is a better title. I don't know. Woody was saying like you prefer Resident I Evil. I prefer Resident Evil, but maybe that's just because I'm used to it. I guess Biohazard to me always sort of implies a... Um, like toxic waste? Yeah, toxic waste type of vibe. Creature from the Black Lagoon. Okay. Um, swamp thing. That's sort of what I envision when I see Biohazard. That's fair. That's um, fair. Whereas, and I guess it is a little more generic, like, sounding than Resident Evil. Like, Resident Evil doesn't necessarily make sense, but it's distinctive. Yeah, so exactly. it's easier to Google it. And yeah. I, I don't know. I guess this game never really delves into like satanic themes does it most things no, pretty man-made it's all bioweapons and stuff yeah. like that yeah so uh yeah like i said it was originally conceived as a sequel to sweet home uh but after a while it just kind of started becoming its own thing and production on resident evil one was overseen by a guy named shinji mikami uh he would go on to shepherd the series all the way through resident evil 4 and he's a big name in video games uh he was a rising star at capcom uh he joined the company in 1990 when he was only 25 years old and he was kind of put on a lot of like mid-level projects, like uh, lots of Disney-themed games. <laughs> and it wasn't until he he was the director of Aladdin on Super NES, okay. which game was I think we've talked about multiple times. Uh, we've talked about it a lot, and it was yeah. a big, big hit. So after that, they kind of were ready to let him kind of streamline or uh, spearhead his own vision a little bit. Uh, and he was a kid who grew up obsessed with American horror films, Texas Chainsaw Massacre and Night of the Living Dead in particular. He loved that kind of game or that kind of movie. So he wanted this game to kind of pay tribute to those, which I definitely think they do. Yeah. Uh, so the first Biohazard, it centered on an elite team of cops from a fictional raccoon city. They don't city. play by the rules. They do <laughs> there, not. There's a couple loose cannons. They wear sunglasses indoors. Yeah. They're badass. Uh, so, yeah, they're they're part of a special unit called STARS, and I do not remember what STARS stands for at this point, but it's an acronym. Uh, Super team available readily. Soon. Soon, yes. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, So, yeah, do you... Supreme. You're you're working for uh, the fictional Raccoon City in every town in USA, and uh, 
when the game begins, you're supposed to go investigate an incident at a mysterious mansion out in the woods. Uh, your helicopter crashes, you're pursued by killer dogs, and you end up... Most of your team is dead, but you end up inside the mansion. So the main characters in this game are Jill Valentine and Chris Redfield. That's which right. becomes relevant as we meet the characters in the second game. Here. Yeah, and you get to choose which one you play through as, and the game will have slightly different storyline depending on who you play as. Uh, and ultimately you'll come to discover that uh, this house full of zombies is tied into the local Umbrella Corporation, which is a pharmaceutical giant that has been secretly developing these bioweapons uh, for sale for terrorists around the country. So, evil corporation, and lots of good stuff. Zumbrella, Umbrella is one of my favorite fictional corporations in, and in my list that I yeah. keep near my bed of favorite fictional corporations. That thing's but getting I just, long. Yeah, yeah, I know. I just think it's so odd that they sort of remain the antagonist through the whole game. Because it's like, why have we, like, they basically led to the bombing of a city. Yeah. Like, why has they not been shut down by the government? Because it's a cover-up, man. The yeah. government's in on it. Lobbyists, man. Lobbyists are powerful. <laughs> it's like... The powerful bioweapon lobby. Yeah. yeah, they're very upset. So, I mean, yeah, the first game was renowned for its uh, gameplay, for the, the, the graphics, which were pretty amazing at the time. And uh, it had a really scary atmosphere. This was one of the scariest games to be available at this point. Like, it was, this oh, was kind yeah. of a big boundary pusher. Uh, it introduced a lot of the mainstays of the series, like uh, the pre-rendered backdrops, uh, the ammo conservation and item management, and uh, the pretty obvious puzzles. And it was also pretty notorious for its cheesy cinematic cutscenes and ridiculously terrible voice acting. So in the first Resident Evil, they actually shot actual video of live actors. Uh, so the scene where they're crash- their helicopter crashes and they have to escape through the woods. It's all real actors. It looks like it's made for cable, like really low budget, terrible acting. And uh, the voice acting throughout the game is famously bad. Like, you know, the Master of Unlocking thing and just all this kind of stuff. Hey, shut up! You almost became a Jill sandwich. Yes, yes. <laughs> it's uh, it's pretty hilarious. Uh, but, you know, regardless of those flaws, gamers turned out for this one. Uh, it was a massive success, both critically and commercially. And it's spun off into this huge franchise. To date, there are 24 games in the series, uh, including full sequels, spin-offs, remakes, reboots... Uh, and it's also been ported and released to just about every system imaginable. Uh, they are not shy with pimping out the Resident Evil license. It's also spawned a, an incredibly successful six-film franchise of kind of loosely related action films starring Mia Jovovich. How, when you say incredibly successful, do you mean like... I mean a billion dollars worldwide wow. across okay. those six are movies. Are there really only six? I thought there were more now. There's only six plus four animated movies that were direct-to-video. Okay. Uh, I've never seen any of them. Yeah, they're any not good. Any of the animated or any of the movies? Either. I've seen the, oh, f- never I think seen I've the, seen the first movie. two I think movies. I've seen like at least four of them. <laughs> I gave up after, like part one, I'm just like, all right, well, maybe they can grow on this. and Like, because it's not super related to the games necessarily. No. Like the main character and, is Alice and she, she doesn't appear in any of the games. Eventually you'll meet different characters in some of the plot lines, but it's much more emphasis on... Matrix style action than it I is feel on like, horror. I don't know. I feel and like the, the reviews have skills. stayed decent off for them. Like, I mean, I feel like they they've in some ways gotten better. Meaning, I think that the people have sort of just gotten used to what the franchise is. Yeah, I feel like it's the same with like TV shows. Like you'll notice um, with TV shows, usually the reviews averages go up over seasons, and I'm sure you know, usually things figure out a better idea of what they are. But I think that people who know what it is are the people who are still watching it. So they're like, yeah, I know what this is now, and it knows what it is, and it meets those goals. And I feel like the Resident yeah. Evil movies have done that. It's, like, it's a series I've you really... You know what been, you expect. I've wanted to get more into it just because it's pretty rare that you have a very successful female-led action movie franchise. Yeah. Uh, it's so, even rarer to have a successful uh, video game-based yeah, movie franchise. Absolutely. Like, these have been far more successful than the Tomb Raider films, you know, so... Uh, but, I mean, all of this put together, plus all the different merchandise, the long-running comic book, the novel series, uh, it's made the series incredibly valuable. To date, there have been more than 85 million units of the game sold, and combined with sales from the movie, the series is worth upwards of $5 billion. Uh, so to put that in perspective, it's worth more than things like Halo, uh, mm-hmm. Mortal Kombat, Game of Thrones, or Assassin's Creed. Wow. More valuable than all of those. So, pretty incredible. Uh, so, Resident Evil 2, it debuted on PlayStation in 1998 uh, with a huge wave of hype. And, again, it was another massive hit. I think it met the expectations and surpassed them in a lot of ways. It had a pretty troubled production cycle. Uh, there was an early version of the game, uh, which fans know as Resident Evil 1.5. And it was 
pretty much like two thirds done before uh, Shinji Mikame and uh, the the director was Hideke Kamiya, and uh, they had kind of a falling out over the direction the game should take, and Mikami backed out, and yeah, so. It it kind of evolved a little bit. Some of the characters changed. Leon was always going to be there, but Claire became a different character. Or, or uh, she was originally called Elsa, and the gun store owner that we meet in the beginning was supposed to be one of the main characters for a while too. Uh, and he that did not happen. I'm glad. Yeah, sorry about that, babe. Mm-hmm. Babe. Uh, yeah. So they put more emphasis on the zapping system, which kind of lets you transfer items between the two different characters in the two different games, so you can help each other out. And uh, it's all more interaction between the two main characters as well. So this one takes place about two months after Resident Evil 1. Your main characters are Leon Kennedy, who is a rookie police officer who's about to start his first day on the RCPD, and Claire Redfield, who's the sister of Chris, and she's arrived in town looking for her brother because he's mysteriously disappeared. Chris, protagonist of the first game. Yes. So they fight their way to the lo- they find they arrive in town and they find it completely overrun with zombies. Uh, they fight their way to local police station, which is similarly overrun with zombies, and it's also kind of like this ancient gothic mansion that's been... Yeah, it definitely does not look like many police stations no. you're going to see. There's like a big abandoned library and lots of like statues and art, which they kind of do. They talk about a little bit as they like, do. why is this all here? They they uh, That's one of the changes that they made between this and Resident Evil 1.5. And in the original version, this was going to look more like a typical office building. And uh, I think they went with the more interesting style. Uh, but I don't know. It could have been fine the other way, too. Uh, so, yeah. And, of course, we learned that this is all... Everything going on in the police station is part of a front for Umbrella's conspiracy. And uh, we didn't get to it yet but in our playthrough. But if you play long enough, you will discover there is a secret underground lab down below the police station mm. where they are making more T-virus and G-virus and different letter viruses. <laughs> so... Um, the two storylines here are actually pretty distinct. You get similar puzzles and locations, but you're going to solve different puzzles and you interact with different characters. So, like, Leon meets Ada Wong, who is a uh, mysterious woman in a red ball gown who's looking for her boyfriend. So, quote-unquote boyfriend. We never actually see this Why guy. didn't we play that version? Uh, well, we you get... You meet her later. She's not a playable character. I know, no, but no. all we've seen so far is a little girl. Yes, that and... is Sherry Birkin. Uh, who Claire is exclusive to the Claire storyline, and she is uh, lost in the facility and looking for her family. Her father is William Birkin, who developed the T virus. He works for Umbrella Labs, and so he's a high ranking scientist for them. So we should take her hostage. We should take her hostage. <laughs> I kind of like that, the Claire segment, because it reminds me of aliens. It makes me think like of uh, Ripley and Newt, like, you know, trying to protect the little girl throughout. And Leon's just kind of a dork uh, in this one, especially. Like, he gets better in later games, but in this one, he's just kind of a dorky little boy scout with a Leonardo DiCaprio haircut. And Yeah. I mean, none of the characters are, like, super developed in this game. No, but... no, not terribly. All right, so let's talk a little bit about this port. Uh, Resident Evil 2 was released on October 31st, 1999. Oh, hey! Hey! Oh, whoa. It's like Earthworm Jim. It's Earthworm Jim and 15 other games. Uh, Weirdly prolific release day for the N64. Yeah, I was looking at the release dates um, when you were talking about this, Mm -hmm. and there there was a ton that just they would seem to gang them all in the last day of the month. Like, the previous two months, Mm -hmm. um, like August um, had like 12, uh, August 31st had like 12 games that came out for it. And September, they, they were all like super busy on the 31st. So I don't know what the release schedule, why they did it that way. It was just payday or something like that. <laughs> They're corresponding it with like when people are supposed to get paid. Uh, so yeah, Resident Evil 2, October 31st, 1999, published and developed by Capcom, and it was released on absolutely everything else, from Dreamcast to PlayStation 1, So how eventually late? GameCube. I have a Gamecom, or a Game.com, whatever you call it, the handheld system, Resident Evil 2 is on that. How far later than the PlayStation version is this? This is m- almost two years. Okay. Yeah, because uh, the first one was January 98. And so Resident Evil 3 is probably out on the PlayStation by now, huh? I or, think so, because that yeah. one came out pretty quickly. It used a lot of the same like graphics engine. And Resident Evil 3 takes place at the same time as 2, uh, just with it's following Jill, and she's up on the streets, you know, so. Uh, yeah, so, like I said, I was real, real into this game. This was my first experience. Like, this N64 port was actually my first experience with Resident Evil entirely. I rented it one day on a whim. <laughs> And I just got really, really addicted to it. Did you get, like, carded? Did the guy be like... No. You did, he didn't, that was pre, like, age gates for renting games? I guess. I mean, I probably should have been carded, but he didn't seem to care. Yeah, but uh, 
Yeah, it, uh, and I, I just got real addicted to it. So what 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 about this series scratched the itch? Were you already a horror fan just in general? I, yeah, I was. Like, I was really into, like, Stephen King and stuff like that. I was still afraid of horror movies at this point. Yeah. I wouldn't watch them, but I would, like... I was the dork who would go to the video store and, like, look at all the box mm. covers and just kind of, like, memorize titles and things like that. So, and, like, look at the... Because uh, with those early VHS covers, they would put all the goriest bits on the right. back cover anyway. Yeah. So whatever your imagination comes up with looking at that is probably worse than what's in the movie. You were, like, yeah. looked at the back of it. Nope, I'm good. It's nope, like, ooh, I'm good. Raw but I'm going to memorize these titles for when I'm old enough <laughs> and I can remember that I want to watch these. Oh, God. Iodactic memory. I, I, uh... I still remember being mildly traumatized by the box art for Nightmare on Elm Street 5 because there's one of the kills involves him like feeding a woman to death and she gets Ooh. really grotesquely fat oh. and that's on the back like she's being like in seven yeah kind of she's like kind of captured inside but she, it looks very cartoon she looks like a puffer fish yeah. like it looks very cartoony <laughs> but it's still gross I, I always uh, I don't know I always stayed away from horror games in general this was one of the earliest ones that I played because I knew that a lot of people had big you know, we're fans of this game. I'm like, all right, I'll give the series a try. Um, so I did play through this whole game. But the game I remember being the most scared by um, early was uh, Ocarina of Time, actually. Really? Yeah, like this this water, te- the spirit temple in that game and the forest temple. Yeah. There's some very, like, scary, like, music and aesthetic to that those games. Oh, God, the forest kind of... temple has that hand mm-hmm. that'll come and, like, just snatch. The shadow gets bigger and bigger and bigger, and then yeah. the hand will snatch you and take you back to the beginning of the level. I was always surprised by how creepy. I, I mean, we'll get to that when we eventually get to Ocarina of Time. That was a creepy game. It was. No, it has this moment. Oh, God, the, being at the bottom of the well, and there's all those hands coming up and then there's that big misshapen thing and it'll like scream at you and you'll freeze yeah oh yeah those i remember those yeah there's some creepy shit that's a great game uh (laughs) hey hot take hot Hot take take. good game good game yeah uh so i got to the point where i was actually writing fan fiction based on resident me and my friend especially we we were like lurking on fan sites looking for every little bit of lore and playing this game now like before we recorded i'm just like Shit, I remember so much about this stuff. Like, I know whose jacket that is hanging on the wall. Like, I know, like, where to find all these different little secret characters and everything Do you remember like what your fan fiction was about at all? Like, I, I remember it centered on Leon. Because okay. uh, I'm sure you thought he was a badass at the time. At the time. Police jacket. Looking like Leonardo DiCaprio was equal to being badass. Yeah. And... I remember... Really? <laughs> That's what's was gotten it? him to where he yeah. is today. All I knew is all the girls liked him, so yeah, I'm just okay. like, all right, I want I want the girls to like my story. <laughs> yeah. So I'll base it on Resident Excuse Evil. Excuse me. Popular. Would you, would you like to read my Resident Evil fanfic? Yes. Sure you're not just dyslexic, and you're just like Leon, Leo. You know. I might be. Uh, Ninja Turtle is everyone's favorite Ninja Turtle. Leon, yeah, no. Leon, Leon Turtle. No, he's <laughs> no one's favorite Ninja Turtle. Donatello. It what? Donatello. Donatello's the is best. Is it not Donatello? For no, you? I thought it was Michelangelo. No, it's no. Donatello. Oh man, no. I mean, you're definitely more of a party dude. Oh yeah, like, I'm such a party dude. We're like nerds, so you know, yeah. <laughs> Only in this group would I be the party dude. <laughs> I think I remember vaguely like it opened with like Leon. He's like an alcoholic or something. And like he, because he's just trying oh, to. Oh yeah, I thought we were still talking about Ninja Turtles. Oh Sorry. yeah, no, no, no. I was no, like, it, oh, I missed that episode. He's, he's like trying to drink away his pain from surviving Resident Evil Two, and then I think I brought in all the characters. It's like, okay, what's what's Barry up to? From how how part old one? are you? Oh fuck, eight, seventeen. Okay, 16. so the alcoholic, I can get that. I thought you might have been like sixteen, fifteen. I was like, that. I was just starting to delve into the more like hard boiled. What's fiction. going on in your family life that draws? I'm you sure to... there were just dozens of f words and like yeah, just because I was edgy. Yeah. But I don't remember clearly. I don't know. So I mean, I guess it was not in canon because Leon Kennedy did get brought back. He did get brought back before, and he's like a government agent at that point. Yeah. If anything, this seems to have galvanized him. Like he's gotten more into like being all in the field and shooting things. So I don't know. It's the only way he feels important. Yeah. There's and a I... hole inside of him. <laughs> only know. zombies can fill. <laughs> that was like... another direction my fan fiction took. <laughs> the zombies <laughs> filling his holes. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, yeah, so that that was that was a lot of me. Like I, I was just really. I think at this point I play. I definitely played all the main series games except for six. Uh, that's the only one I never got around to, just because I heard kind of bad things, and I was a little lukewarm on five. 
So I don't know. What do you guys? Do you have a favorite, least favorite? Uh, four. Four, is, uh, four is definitely my favorite. I played through two, and I think I hadn't played any Resident Evil game until four. But okay. I think that I don't think I can say enough good things about Resident Evil Four. I mean, I'm sure most people have played it, being as it's been ported to a zillion systems. That's the one that Leon Kennedy gets brought back in. Yeah. And it was that one was a huge shakeup for the game, the whole series, because basically. Resident Evil 1, 2, and 3, and all these offshoots, like Code Veronica and stuff, were all kind of variations of this same game, like Resident Evil 2. And then 4 came around, and it switched this over-the-shoulder, sort of very action-focused game. It's a lot less scary than these games, because you tend to have, like, giant guns. Like, the game's not as scary when you're carrying a machine gun. That's true. Um, But it's so well-paced and exciting. Yeah, I love Resident Evil 4. I I tried to play 3. Mm-hmm. I was telling you guys earlier, um, in a cardboard fort <laughs> in a guest bedroom, yeah. where my friend was making out with his girlfriend in one of the cardboard rooms within the room, and I turned on the game, and I lasted about five minutes, and I was in the dark. And so the did your friends. I, oh. Yeah, oh. From no. making out. Yes. Yeah, I guess it's all different when you're a teen. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, and, and I turned it off, and I never played it again. And then I think the f- next interaction I had with Resident Evil was actually watching the movies mm-hmm. and then playing it again with you guys with the actual like the newer one which is i thought was great because it didn't really have anything to do with any of the previous games yeah it's true it was kind of a reboot and i yes yeah, it seems like there's sort of been three big iterations of resident evil it's like this first era mm-hmm. with uh the fixed cameras and um the slope gameplay and then you have four five and six which are very action focused and shooty and then 7 is kind of a mix of those two, which is yeah. a first-person game with sort of more of these survival elements, but you do sort of get more. But the emphasis is definitely more on horror. Like, mm-hmm. with Part 7, it's definitely trying to be scarier than uh, 4, 5, or 6. It were. was. Uh, and it was. It definitely was. The, like I, it comes in VR. I never played it. Um, I My friend, Josiah, who's on the podcast, oh, yeah, yeah. played through all of Resident Evil 7 on the VR headset. Which seems really scary. I have still not to this. I've never played a VR game at all. Like I have no idea what it's like. So I don't know if I'd I think be into mostly it. it's like you can't do it for very long because you just get sick of standing and you get a headache. Yeah, I imagine. Do I'd probably be bumping standing? into the table a lot. Uh, well, some of the games require physical movement. I okay. guess it's different for different games. Yeah. But, yeah. I don't know. We'll have to try that one of these days. For the N64 VR set. Like, I, I'm Homemade. one of Homemade, the... yeah. I'm definitely one of the weird people in that I wasn't as into Resident Evil 4 as everyone else. It's a definitely, it's a solid, it's a really good game, and there's a lot to like about it. I think I just, I had my preconceived notions of what I wanted Resident Evil games to be, and this just wasn't quite it. It's definitely less and scary. Especially when ones. you get to 5. I think 5 is just not scary at all because you're partnered with a, it's like co-op. So mm-hmm. having two people there just kind of definitely lessens the fear factor yes. for me. Uh, they, they seem to replace the actual like tension and getting scared, which is the monsters getting sort of bigger and goopier. Yeah. Um, you fade like and a that's giant I mean, slime creature in a boat that it's, I don't know. It's I do, a cool game. I but. do love that part. And I love that I, I discovered this the hard way playing Resident Evil 4. If you go to the end of the dock before you even get in that boat and if you shoot the water, that thing will jump out and kill you. Oh. Immediately. <laughs> There's nothing you can do. It will jump out. It will bite you in half. That's cool. It's an amazing little touch, you know. And, and Resident Evil 4 does have some scary bits. I remember there's a part in the lab, you know, there's like those creatures that have like spikes yeah. coming out of their body and they like flop on the ground yeah. like those things those are the first out. time you encounter you get in the lab and encounter those is a very scary and part. they resurrect too like yeah. they come back so you know but it's been a very durable series and i think because they've been willing to reinvent themselves so often and try new things i think they've managed to stay relevant and the late i mean the latest resident evil news is that they're going to do a remake of this game that we just played absolutely too um in sort of the more modern resident evil style which I'm really looking forward to because they they did a similar thing with the first Resident Evil. They remade it for the GameCube, and it's kind of a ground-up rebuild more than just like a port or anything like that. It follows the same basic plot, but you're going to have different actors. You're going to have much different graphics, slightly different layout and gameplay styles. And that Resident Evil remake is exceptional. Like, it's still one of the best-looking games ever. Uh, you can play it on the GameCube now, and it looks terrific. So, yeah, I mean, especially Resident Evil games have always looked great yeah that's really been a huge strong point of the series and resident evil 2 you know we played on n64 this is an old game Mm -hmm. but it still looks quite good i would say it's 
probably one. I mean, it's one of the best looking games for the system. Period. I mean, like it's um, got the basic things you expect. Like we played as Claire, and her knees are very articulated, like a action figure, you know. And then like joints like that, and of course their mouths don't move when they talk and everything. Like, and but it's still. Yeah, all, all of you the, have to take yourself out sort of, of modern the day expectations. Sort of gimmick behind these games and why they were able to look so good is that all of the backgrounds and environments were all like pre-rendered, mm. um, so they don't really act like they don't move or anything or seem very interactive, but they look really realistic. It lets you have a lot of details in the background, and which is awesome. This game also uh, they jammed in some full motion cutscenes, um, yep. which is very impressive considering like we played Spider Man, which was a port from the PlayStation version, which has no actual movie. No, right. Um, we would has... get frozen scenes with like comic book dialogue bubbles. Yeah, this actually has video with voice acting. The video looks super dark and compressed. It does not look very good. And again, is... I'm just, I'm still just kind of amazed that they were able to get it. Like. Let's talk about this port here because uh, it's kind of amazing that this exists at all. Like people, most developers did not think this kind of game was possible on the N64. It's actually a point of contention for a lot of developers of why they chose not to develop for the N64 because it couldn't handle their cinematic vision. (laughs) And this one handles it. Uh, And it it fits everything. It fits both games uh, uh, or both characters and it fits all the cutscenes and all the voice acting. And the sound is pretty good quality. The voice acting might be slightly more tinny than the other version. And I would need to see them side by side to tell. But the music sounds great. And I I did look at a side by side comparison of this and the PlayStation version. The polygons are much smoother in this one uh, and the movement's much smoother. So this is like one of the better looking versions of this game you can get. Plus, N64 players got a lot of exclusives. Like, you had uh, difficulty levels. You could change the color of the blood, like, to red, green, or blue. So, to kind of manage your uh, squeamishness, I guess. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I don't uh, know if I would be... Nice, soothing blue blood. Yes. I just feel like I'm in a Smurf blue, massacre. Blue is a very calming color. There was a game I played for the PlayStation where they were supposed to be... They called themselves Timenoids, and they had blue blood. Hmm. What is that game? It was uh, um, the Domino's Pizza game. No. Oh, yeah. It was yeah. the sequel. It's called, it's called Kajero. K-A-J-E-R-O. Oh, and you okay. Play, sounds familiar. It, was like, the... It's all about setting traps. And like oh, there's these immortal te- creatures. Tecmo's Deception? Is that the name? No, it's called oh. Kajero. Yeah, Kajero is it's like, it's similar yeah. to Deception, though. Okay. Yeah. 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 But Time and Nights were these immortal beings that you're like, been raised by and you start killing them eventually instead of just humans i think that originally started as a domino's pizza game where you like would have your domino's pizza and all your pizzas would be there and then like the yonoids would the yonoid would start coming in avoid and you put a trap to like crush him before you got your pizza okay. that would absolutely be a great horror game yeah. like like it just it was like five nights at freddy's but i still remember yonoid. going to like a mall opening or something when i was real little and my sister was even younger and there was a guy walking around in an annoyed costume and she was terrified of that thing. Like everything else that would walk by, she was totally fine with. But that character walked by, she was freaking out because it looks like a bunny with a human face. Right. Well, that and the Kool-Aid man. The Kool-Aid oh, man's scared you? The Kool-Aid man's yeah. oh. pretty scary. The Kool-Aid man is very intrusive. And and would like walk around the grocery store and I wanted to throw food over myself in the cart and hide. Wait, was there a Kool-Aid man walking around your grocery store? I, I remember it. Uh, it was probably in Germany, maybe at the PX, Whoa. like on base. But German like, supermarket Kool Aid man. I just yeah. still love to imagine there's like a really fat guy inside that suit, and just like the part I was born to play. <laughs> oh, man, that would be terif- That would be terrifying. Like a horror game where the Kool Aid man just like chases you from room to room because that's and then basically he, like, what bust through the wall. That's and... kind of what Resident Evil Three is because the nemesis like will show up at random times and bust through walls, and you can't shoot him or stop him. You just have to get away. So that could be this, yeah. You have just fueled my childhood nightmares. Thank oh, you. Oh, yeah! I'm going to drink your blood! <laughs> you can't have the key to my house anymore. <laughs> also, I just put together the Kool-Aid Man sounds a lot like Macho Man Randy Savage. Interesting. 80s conglomerations Check come together. Have you ever seen them together in the same room? I have not. I'm pretty sure they're both dead. I don't know. I know Macho Man's dead. Coincidence? Coincidence, yes. <laughs> Did one kill the other? Drown in a sugary water? Um, yes, yeah, so... Yeah, I, I mean, a lot of people would say that the N64 port is kind of the definitive version of this game. Another thing that this port does, which I think is very worth noting, is one of the weird things about Resident Evil is the controls in these early games were designed to... Um, Resident Evil has a lot of things that I feel like are deliberately bad gameplay mm-hmm. in order to make it scarier. 
Um, like it doesn't control very well. The camera is constantly not showing you what you want because they're just fixed camera angles. And so you'll often enter a room and you can only see your own character and you'll hear a zombie moaning, but you need to go forward to have the camera actually show you what's in front of you. Right. And then you're like, crap, there's zombies right there. Um, and mm, there's then all... you can't run away. Yeah, because then all... you can't see them again. Well, and you can't run away because <laughs> if you press back, your character is going to slowly rotate around as mm. opposed to actually moving. And one thing that the N64 does is it allows you to change the control scheme so it actually acts rel- relative to the camera as opposed to relative to your character. Yeah. Which I think is a lot more intuitive. Um, it's, you know, Except if for Steve. Well, if you're used to the way Resident Evil usually to the way. plays. That's the thing. But like we, yeah, it was a good control group because Lindsay hasn't played many of this style of Resident Evil games. Yeah. So you picked it up with the... the altered control scheme and it was pretty intuitive for you right you just kind of got it and for me i was kind of struggling a little bit because i'm used to just constantly pressing up to make them move forward and then like steering them around like that so and we did discover you can use the d-pad to move the character yeah you can it also defaults your stick to running and you can just walk with the d-pad yep that's actually nice because uh yeah the the running or the walking can be very slow and sometimes you just need to get the fuck away from things that are chasing you. I mean that's sort of I would that's sort of the trend of this game in general. This is a very slow game. It is. It is. And it it was when you go back and play a game like this, you have to kind of adjust your expectations a little bit and you also have to uh you have to endure a certain amount of quirkiness. Like like you said some of the decisions are seemingly bad but like intentionally like so your inventory is very very limited Mm -hmm. and you have to be very conscientious of what you're picking up you can only carry six items at a time and there's no option to drop items no no if you need to like if you find an essential like a key you need you either have to waste a first aid item on yourself or like run all the way back to a save area where you can put these items in these sort of crates that yeah. you can store them for later and then go back and get the item you need and it's it's a bit of a hassle but it's also it's kind of the point like you're supposed to be thinking about conservation you're supposed to be thinking about if you were this person in this situation you wouldn't have a million billion pockets to carry everything no in the she's world. got shorts and yeah. like a tank top she can still carry a pretty impressive amount of stuff she can and like the grenade launcher takes up the same amount of slots as your green herb yeah and where and is I think, it going i think later there is like there are some guns that take up two slots, so like it gets even worse. But uh, and I don't think you can upgrade your backpack. Maybe you can upgrade it once, but it's not like in Resident Evil Four you have that briefcase and you can upgrade it. So and you can move stuff around and like puzzle it in there to make yeah. it all fit. Uh, so this one has you have to be you have to be thinking about what you're doing. And uh, yeah, you have save ribbons like ink ribbons for any time you want to save and use a typewriter. So you can carry those with you and then be ready to save anytime you encounter a room like that, or you can leave them behind and be prepared to not have an ink ribbon when you stop in the save. Yeah, but it seems to me that every room that you find a typewriter in, you have the crate, so you can just store them in the crate and pick them up. It did, it did seem like that. Yeah. It's definitely less of a problem in this one than in the first game. They've uh, they listened to the feedback on that, and... Uh, so yeah, it's 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 quite frustrating to need to save and be unable to, which is all. It it's is. also a very scary thing. It is like crap. I need to go to my son's wedding and I'm busy <laughs> playing Resident Evil. I can't save. I was doing that yesterday while I was playing another game. I couldn't save and I needed to come pick Lindsay up oh, from the car dealership. Son's wedding. Oh yeah, no, no, he's long been married. Okay. <laughs> I hate his wife. God, what a bitch. Uh, no, that's okay. I don't have a son. My well, my quantum's my son. Whatever. Quantum uh, is not married. He is not married. He's he's yeah. He's terrible. So, and the shooting too takes a little adjustment because I've come to think of it less as like a typical shooter style and more like RPG style. If you move it in the, if you move your gun in the general right direction, then you're going to hit what you're aiming at. But uh, you kind of you're rolling the dice a little bit for a chance to get a critical hit. Sometimes you'll just do a headshot and you'll drop them in one. Sometimes it'll take six or seven different bullets to take them out down. Yeah, but there's no real aiming at specific no. body parts. No. Or you can, again, with the risk and reward, if you knock one down or knock one of the zombies down and then walk near it, it'll grab your leg and it'll hurt you a little bit, but then you'll kick its head off and it won't bother you anymore. So it's a it's a risk thing. If you have the health to spare, you can do that and save your ammo. I, think, I know this was before like achievements existed in mm-hmm. games. I think there should be an achievement for how many heads you kick off. I'm sure there will be in the remake. Yes. I definitely like... <laughs> I, I miss having achievement. When I'm playing older games, I'm like, man, uh, this this would be an achievement. Like, I recognize that it would be. So I'm setting it off in my head. It's like, yep, oh, I got one. 
Platinum Trophy. Uh, I guess the other thing that the Nintendo 64 version had is a uh, 16 extra files uh, of and little bits of story lore uh, by the game's creator. They snuck those in there that only appear in this one. So for hardcore fans looking to get the whole story, this is the game to play. I mean, and, until the remake comes out, right? Until the remake comes out. and then, But that's going to be its own different beast, I think. Yeah. And if you look at the, the Dreamcast and GameCube versions got much lower ratings on this just because... They're basically just straightforward ports of the PlayStation version. Uh, they didn't really improve the graphical fidelity, and they don't have the extra features Nintendo has. And the GameCube version actually launched at full price. It was a sixty-dollar game, and, they get, and that it, came out what like, like two thousand five. Wow, so that was almost ten years. Almost after ten the years first later, and that's why most most reviewers are like, you know what, this game is great, but you have a million other ways to play it that are much cheaper. So don't bother spending sixty dollars on a GameCube version. Uh, so yeah, it's it's pretty rare, I would say, that uh, a port on the Nintendo 64 is like the preferred version to play. But I would definitely endorse this one as being like, if you're going to play this game, this is the way to do it. Mm-hmm. Uh, a I, lot of the I con- think this game still stands up pretty well in general. It really I mean, does. If this is sort of slow paced, I mean, this game's still pretty scary um, with the with the camera angles and the sound design is really good. Yeah. Um, so if that's what you enjoy, um, it's. I think that series would be a pretty, be a pretty good one to play through the whole, all of them. Yeah. yeah. They do a good job of keeping things in canon and not dropping threads. I'm probably going to try and pick up six at this point because now I'm feeling like I'm missing out. You know? I think it's on sale right now online for like six bucks, like <laughs> well, digitally. That's perfect. I'll get that. But, you know, it's, it's uh, yeah, absolutely. And, you know, the a lot of the development work on this port was done by uh, Factor 5. That studio would go on to do... Uh, Star Wars Rogue Squadron on the N64, and they would run that series for a while. And they were a really successful company up until around 2005 when uh, they made a game called Layer for the PS3, which was supposed to be, it was a launch title. Very ambitious. L-A-Y-E-R? L-L-A-I-R, like a a dragon Oh, yeah, yeah, Layer. It's like a dragon combat game. Yeah. It was very expensive, very ambitious, and it flopped hard. And so the company went under after that, uh, and they canceled about a dozen games. But they did some great work compressing the files down on this and fitting everything onto a cartridge. Uh, so as for Shinji Mikame, he followed up Resident Evil with a very, very similar game called Dino Crisis, uh, which is just a straight-up Resident Evil clone with a science fiction bent, and uh, you're in a laboratory trying to escape all these dinosaurs. There were two additional games in that series. They're fine. You don't need to run out and play them, but I played them all. They're fine. Uh, and after this, uh, after well, he he served as a producer on games like Devil May Cry, Onimusha, Phoenix Wright, Ace Attorney, and Steel Battalion. So lots of big ni- names. And then after Resident Evil Four broke, he it was like one of the hottest games of the year. It was a huge seller, kind of a game changer. And so he left Capcom and went to go form his own studio called Clover. And that studio had a very small but very well-loved and influential output, including uh, the Beautiful Joe games, mm-hmm. Okami, uh, which is a really gorgeous, like, hand-drawn animated game, and uh, one that you've talked about many times on the show, God Hand. Yeah, which is a very fun, goofy, stupid brawler. Yeah. Where you, it's definitely one of the greatest games involving punching. Definitely. One of the great punching games. It's a lot of fun. Yeah, and then uh, these days, Mikami has been working on the Evil Within series, which Lindsay and I are playing right now. We're playing Evil Within 2. Which is much better than the first one. Massive improvement, yeah. Yes. And you definitely, definitely see the DNA of Resident Evil. Is in it? Evil I, so I've never played the Evil Within. Is it kind of, I mean, you walk around, find keys, and yep. things jump out at you? Yeah. So yeah. when we were all playing Resident Evil, like the mutation Evil style. Yeah. yeah, sorry. No, it's okay. I to me that's the one. Yeah. No, the one. We found it. No, um the the mutation style of like the people turning into the creatures and it just being like really super abstract. Yeah. That's pretty much what evil within is. Okay. Yeah. And it's all super obtuse as far as lots the plot of mind line. fuckery, yeah. Yeah. So it's it's a little more sort of yeah, psych demonic or psychological type of thing as opposed to like man-made virus yeah yeah and the first game was kind of a on rails like super linear straightforward like chapter based thing you could beat in like eight hours or something like that uh evil within 2 is much more open world which i'm really appreciating uh you have little sub quests that you can go find and you explore this different areas and uh it's a lot more open to how you want to explore it and the gunplay is like sharper like it's just a better game overall yeah, it's a lot of fun. 
So, uh, yeah, and we talked a little bit about the Resident Evil 2 remake, which is coming much sooner than I expected. I was looking at a video for it today. It gave me some chills, actually. I was like, ooh, this looks so cool. Uh, January 25th uh, is when it's slated to come out, Uh, which I'm excited. I'd heard this one announced and rumored for a long time, but I didn't think they were actually working on it, but they are. Final Fantasy VII. Final Fantasy VII remake will never happen. I... I'm holding my breath. You will die. It will <laughs> never happen. Uh, yeah, so that, uh, I think that's kind of all. Resident Evil never appeared again on the N64, right? No, this never is... did. And this is also uh, the last Capcom game we're going to talk about. Oh, We've covered sad. all three Capcom games on the N64. Isn't there a Mickey Racing game that's Capcom or something? No, that's rare. Yeah, ah. that's, that's rareware. Um, yeah, so uh, we will get to that. But yeah, we've talked about. Magical Tetris Challenge, Mega Man 64, and this. And that's it for Capcom. All right. I think is it safe to say this is the Capcom game we enjoyed the most? I think that's definitely safe to say. Okay. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, well, let's move on to our rankings then. Uh, so each week we rank the games that we just played. Uh, Capcom or other developers? Whoever decided to make a game. We're going to talk about it. Uh, let's start off with Lindsay. Uh, you have a few games on here. I need to see the list. All right. All right so I'll, you're... I'll go while Lindsay's looking yeah. at the okay, list. Okay. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I, I like... I mean, I like this game. This isn't really my style of game. I'm not crazy about scary stuff in general. Um, And this game is... I mean, it's pretty slow, and most of the thrills just come from the tension of what's going to happen next. But your sort of day-to-day of moving and getting keys and opening doors is kind of boring. With that said, this game is super well-made, and it's still pretty scary, and um, it controls great and plays great on the N64. Um, so I'm going to put it at number nine, okay. which I think is right below Snowboard Kids yeah. is where I want to put it. Um, it's definitely a game that I think has more to offer other people, but I still think it's really good. Absolutely. It makes Snowboard Kids go to 10. Yeah. So you'll be right under Tony Hawk. Yes. Right. Perfect. Yeah. So I have four on my list, which are, you know, they're great caliber games. Oh, yeah. <laughs> great caliber because I had I did Scooby-Doo and both the Rugrats games and Gauntlet Legends. <laughs> Man. <laughs> thanks. Thanks, you guys. Yeah. Um, so I would have to say this probably... It's worse than all of them. No, no. It's no, no Rugrats scavenger <laughs> no. hunt. That's for sure. Um, I'd say it has to go on top of Gauntlet Legends. Yeah. So it'll be the first one out of now five. Excellent. I have other opinions about other games, though, just so you guys know. We'll Your have expertise you on. are only <laughs> on yeah. Rugrats related. When no. we replay... If make a zombie Rugrat movie, you are all over that. <laughs> Actually, that would be pretty entertaining. Yeah. That would be fucking great. Well, for me, uh, this one is going as number two. Yeah. This is my Ooh, number nice. two game. I love this game. I think this port is a really impressive achievement for the system. Uh and kind of it's it's kind of a warts and all sort of thing. You're supposed to if, if you like Resident Evil games, you're going to kind of accept these weird little developments in it and these yeah. weird little design choices, uh, which I accept. I know the series has moved past it, and I'm fine with that too. But at, it's it, this one just brought back so many fond memories for me, and seeing that it still plays about as well as it yeah, ever it did, hold, it like, holds up. It holds up really well, and uh, it's a classic game. And I think if you're going to play it, this is the way to play it. So this is my new number two. It's right after Banjo-Kazooie. Nice. Very different type of game. Very different type of game. But uh, it's Banjo-Kazooie's been on top for a long time. So I'm excited to see what it takes to actually uh, knock that one off. Uh, we have one letter I'd like to read real quick just because I love getting letters from people. I love it too. Uh, I wish they would send them to me. Does it make you feel important? Well, it makes me feel only so Steve important. receives them. I should send Aww. Steve a letter and be like, please forward this to your co-host. <laughs> <laughs> That's well, the only way I'll you know. You should just ask or ask us to the email. Mm. Right? Yeah, I mean, that could work, too, if you want to. <laughs> I never thought of that. I'm going right. to subscribe us to a bunch of newsletters. <laughs> yeah. There's a lot of Dear spam. Ultra 64, thanks for entering this contest. And Dear Ultra 64, would you like yeah. to be wider? No. And then all of a sudden, Steve will be part of the Church of Scientology. Mm-hmm. Like I'm not already. Come yeah. on. Hail Thetan. Uh, I don't know what they worship. No, they, anyway. I think Thetans are the things they, they, that they are inside the of you. Actual, they hail Xenu. Yeah, yeah that's th- right. Thetans were the actual... Things. They're people. the things. They're not people. They're, they're the not frozen. Aliens. They're, they're the aliens. spirits. They're yeah. the frozen alien ghosts that were thrown in the volcano that are possessing us. Yes. Obviously. Sorry, I'm so sorry. sorry to all actual Scientologists. I'm not sorry. No, you guys are in no. a cult. Uh, so, hey, here's the letter. <laughs> Hi guys, I'm a solentologist. Solentologist. I only believe in solid things. Other states of matter are false and a conspiracy by the government. The only show I watch is Better Call Saul. Yeah. 
Uh, all right. So, hi, guys. Really great job at the podcast. I look forward to new episodes each week. Thank you so much. I, too, have a complete cart-only NTSC Nintendo 64 collection. Yeah. Excellent. And have slowly been working to, on playing each game to completion. It's been a grind. Anyway, regarding last week's episode on Conquer, Steve talked about the larger-known adult video games. Uh, surprisingly enough, Let's Sing 2016 for the Wii featured female nudity in the John Legend music video. Maximum Games issued a recall for an error in product assembly. <laughs> uh, that's my fun fact for you guys. Thanks, Adam. P.S. Please do an episode on Sin and Punishment. Quick question, because hmm. I'm a terrible friend and I haven't listened to that episode God, you're a yet. Monster. I know. Did you talk about Leisure Suit Larry? Yeah, yeah, okay, we talked good. a lot about that. Good. Yeah, uh, it's definitely <laughs> that, got some. That is a there. that is a good fun fact about Let's Sing. Game I had Cold. no idea. I'm sure that was because that's definitely not the you know the market of kids people who are going to buy that game is not the same market as people looking for like adult oh, content. Yeah. It's one thing when it's in like San Andreas buried. I, I like in the We Sing game. It we have like a buried though when it was all over the internet. No, it, well, it you was, had to dig it, it up. It was buried in the code. Someone had gone oh, okay. through to pull that out. Yeah, you have to be one of those nerds. Yeah. But yeah, thank you for writing. That's awesome. And uh, we, I think we do intend on doing a Sin and Punishment episode at some point. Just yeah, it's because available uh, on the it's, Wii Virtual Console, right? Yeah, I never got an official release here, but it is available in the United States to play. So uh, I think I think that'll be a fun episode to do. That's a weird game. But thank you so much for writing. If you want to write us in the letter, uh, ultra64podcast at gmail.com. We always love hearing from people. All right, everybody. Thank you so much all for tuning in. Thank was, you. Was this our scariest podcast episode? I'm I feel like we didn't do enough to like make it make it spooky. Well, what else? What else should we, we do? I think we should like flick the lights on and off and stuff. Ooh, okay, they can all right. Totally Here tell. they go. They're going on and off. Ah, poltergoosts. There's a poltergeist. A poltergeist. Yeah, they're very but scary. In daylight, you can uh, still see outside. Don't the spoil the magic, on. Lindsay. We're trying There's to nothing funny movement. about the horrors of melanoma. <laughs> good work. Steve. Yeah, thank you. Yeah. Now it's scary. Well, We're thank good. you so much, Lindsay, for coming and playing a good game for once. We're Yay! excited to have you in here, and we will bring you back for more good games in the future. Uh, so next week's episode, uh, we are playing a trio of futuristic racing games. So we're going to be playing Wipeout 64, Arrow Gauge, and F0X. That's a big one. So, uh, everybody tune in for some laser blasting high speed racing action. It's going to be a lot of fun. Boom, boom. All right, everybody. So, uh, tune in next week. Find us on ultra64podcast.com and uh, keep it spooky, y'all. Yeah. Keep it creepy. No, perfect. Werewolf bar mitzvah.